Well, it's, isn't it great just coming back to church after a few weeks break, hey? And Michael is right. You guys are looking really great. You can see some people have made New Year's resolutions about how they're going to dress, <laughs> what they're going to do with their skin. The stilettos are out. <laughs> Praise God. I pray, Lord, for a spirit of maintaining. Amen. <laughs> Even maintenance of church attendance. You know, I noticed last uh, January, you see people coming and so on, gung-ho, first service of the year. And then after a while, they fade away. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, for revelation knowledge that transforms us. And I thank you, God, that this morning will not just be information, but it will be revelation. That lives will be changed, Lord, as we embrace the word of your power. Thank you that your power is encapsulated in your word. And thank you, God, that no one will leave this place today the same. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. What I find so interesting is that when we start a new year, very often we focus on the favor of God. We focus on breakthrough. How many of you have been focusing on that? Where you've been saying, Lord, this year, 2016, is my year. Ah, this year. You know, if you're single, this is the year I'm going to get books done. Praise God, we've got lots of weddings, eh? Lots of weddings this, this year that are coming up. Whew, I'm going to be doing quite a bit of traveling, I think, right? But people speak like that. People talk about personal breakthrough. People talk about favor. And so somehow when we think of the opening service and the opening message, we assume it's going to be all about favor and how am I going to improve myself as a person. But as I've begun to study scripture, I've seen that there's certain keys to those breakthroughs. You see, when I look at the word of God, it's very clear that if you want to find favor with the Lord, walk in humility. And so this year, as we speak, as we preach, we're going to be doing various schools. We're going to be doing a school of faith. We're going to be doing a school of leadership. But we're also going to be doing and starting off with the school of humility. Is that okay? The school of humility. And some of you are listening and thinking, oh no, that's so demotivating. I just want to go to a place where I hear a motivation session. I don't know about you, I want to hear what's on God's heart. I want to hear what's on God's heart. And so let me, let me start off by sharing with you a few things. So today we're going to start off by talking about seven reasons why you must be humble. Seven reasons why you must be Humble. And teaching on humility doesn't mean you're a proud person. Jesus taught on humility. Moses in scripture, basically you see a word in scripture where he says, and Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. And guess who wrote that? Moses. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about what humility actually is, because many Christians don't understand that. It's an accurate assessment of one's own importance or rank. Humility is an accurate assessment of one's own importance or rank. And that's why when we speak about pride, when we speak about being conceited, the word conceit means to think of yourself more highly than you ought. But humility is to have an accurate assessment of yourself. So if I go into scripture and the Bible says, I am the apple of his eye. If I say to you, guys, I'm the apple of his eye. Does that mean I'm being proud? No, I'm recognizing that God's word is God's word and that's his truth. And I'm not so proud to question his truth. Amen. So I say I'm the apple of his eye, not because of my own abilities, but because of Christ in me. Because I was created in his image. Amen? Amen. So the shift when it comes to being a humble person isn't so much what you're saying about yourself, it's who you believe is the source of that. You see, I can say I have the mind of Christ. I have the wisdom of God. Does that make me proud? No, that's an accurate assessment of myself. But I'm recognizing the source. But if I say, I am so wise, and I don't acknowledge that God is the one who gives me the wisdom, I've become a proud person. Amen? It's good to see some people who've come back from holiday, I must say. You know, and some people have been far, like New York and 
the Caribbean and that kind of thing. Nice to see you, Isha and Rufara. When, he told, when they told me that where they were going, you know, when they said cheers to me towards the end of last year, could see Isha had this sort of embarrassed look on his face. Because I was like, oh, are you guys going up to Zim? Uh, no, no. Oh, uh, Cape Town, like the coast or something. Uh, no, uh, Caribbean, uh, New York. Okay, cheers. God bless you. <laughs> Good to see you guys all back. All right. So humility is to do with being humble towards man and being humble before God. It's about being humble towards man. Very often we miss that. If you look at where humility is spoken about in scripture, very often it's talking about be humble towards your brothers and sisters. It's humility in relation to how you relate to the people around you. So if I say I've got the wisdom of God and I think no one else has access to the wisdom of God, I've become proud. But humility toward my brothers and sisters is to say, guys, I've got the wisdom of God and you also have access to it. So because I'm declaring that I'm the apple of his eye, I'm not exalting myself over my brothers and sisters. Come on now. So there's humility towards one another. And then there's humility before God. That's why scripture tells us, humble yourself before the Lord. And that's the power of worship. When we sing songs of worship, we're humbling ourselves before God. In theology, there's a powerful concept, and it's called the otherness of God. You see, we recognize that, yes, we've become a friend of God, and that's wonderful. But we also need to acknowledge more so than the fact that we become a friend of God, we need to acknowledge the otherness of God. That His ways are higher than our ways. That I need access to His wisdom. That He is God and I'm man. Amen? Amen. So that's why scripture talks about humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. My question to you is, how are you before the Lord? What is your posture like before God? I want to show you some extremely powerful keys this morning. And if we tap into this dimension, that's where your breakthrough lies. I was going to speak in King James. Therein lieth your breakthrough, my brother. <laughs> Sounds more anointed, huh? <laughs> okay. So you see, I embrace who I am in Christ with boldness. Enter, therefore, the throne of grace boldly. So I embrace who I am in Christ with boldness, but I recognize that just as I am, without one plea. I recognize that it's not based on my own righteousness, but His righteousness at work in me. Isn't that powerful? I want you to have a look at Philippians chapter 2. This is my key verse, my foundation verse. Don't let the enemy rob this message from me. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. It says here, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So every single thing we do, when we strategize, when we come up with goals, dreams, and desires, the Bible is telling us, do none of it from selfish ambition. Let me just say something. There's nothing wrong with ambition. You know that? The Bible doesn't say there's anything wrong with ambition. The Bible challenges us when it comes to selfish ambition. Ambition is just the desire to do great stuff. The desire to achieve. My question to you is, as you've been setting out your goals for this year, a goal is basically a dream with a deadline. Is your desire to achieve greatness selfish? Or is it greatness for the kingdom of God? Is it greatness because you want to contribute to your nation, to your people, to your family, to your church? Or is it selfish? Bible here says, do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition. Are there kids here? I see Chico, but she's mature. I see Evan. I don't think you'll understand what I'm about to say. <laughs> Those of you who are married, even when it comes to intimacy with your spouse, do nothing out of selfish ambition. The Greek word for nothing there is nothing. <laughs> you see, when you're relating to people, when your primary agenda is, I want to bless you, I want to serve you, that's how you truly connect in true intimacy. 
Last gets, love gives. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, empty conceit, vain glory. The Bible speaks of it as that. But in humility, now this gives us a key into what humility is. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Now you don't hear motivational speakers speak like that, do you? In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Is it saying that others are better than you? It's not saying that. It's saying consider others. Some translations say esteem others more highly in rank than yourself. Let me ask you a question. If you look at the body of Christ today, if you look at how church is done today, does the man of God or the man of power for the hour genuinely consider others and esteem others more highly than himself? I think we need to rethink how we do church. Just because there's a greater grace on your life, just because God uses you in miracles, in powers, in signs and wonders, in teaching and preaching, does not mean you cannot consider the people around you more highly than you consider yourself. That's a scary thought, isn't it? And someone is thinking, but Paul, does that mean we become doormats? Bible isn't saying that. Bible isn't saying that. When the Bible speaks of Jesus, and I'm going to go into it, it says, let the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus being in you, who did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Was Jesus equal to God? Yes, he is God. But he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Bible goes on to say in the book of Philippians, it says, but he took on the guise of a servant. He humbled himself unto death, even death on the cross. Isn't that powerful? The Son of God going and washing people's feet. That's humility. My question to you this morning is, what would your life look like if you had this revelation completely? What would your life look like if you esteemed the people around you higher than you esteem yourself? Lord convicted me of this. As you know, it was my wife's birthday yesterday. And I said to her a couple of days before, my love, just so you know, on Saturday night, we can watch a video, we can watch whatever you want to watch. Even though at 20 past 7, my team is going to be playing soccer, but it's fine. You'll watch whatever you want to watch. And it was, uh, I was being serious, okay? And then when, when 7 o'clock came by and so I was doing my stuff, she was doing other stuff. And I found myself sitting there secretly hoping that she continues doing some music <laughs> as the game began. Okay, and then Daniel comes, he likes watching soccer with me, so he comes and he starts watching. And the Lord convicted me because I was secretly hoping that she wouldn't ask for anything else. She doesn't know this, I'm confessing. But at a certain point, the Lord said to me, if the president were to come to your house, you esteem the president highly. It doesn't matter if you're at its time in your game. You'll drop whatever you're doing and you'll say, Mr. President, what can I do for you? And your and your okay, and your wives or wherever the president comes. Okay. So I'm trying to make it relevant. You you say, well, what can I do? It doesn't matter what you're doing. And the Lord showed me that in the same way that you're esteeming a president highly. You must esteem your wife. And the nature of esteeming someone is you put their needs before your own. And that's why I then said to her quite enthusiastically, my love, I'm about to go and put the kids down. Please, seriously, just come and watch whatever you want to watch. Honestly, please, I'm being serious. And I meant it. But that's humility. That's humility. watch this it says but in humility consider others better than yourselves each of you should look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of of others how would your conversations change 
If when you sat down speaking to someone, you are more interested in their concerns than your concerns. You know those people who like talking about themselves? You know those people who say, guys, I'm feeling a bit bad. I kind of feel like I'm talking about myself a bit too much. Can you stop talking about me, please? You know the kind of I'm talking about. But if you look here, it says each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. One of the keys to being relationally mature is that this changes every conversation you have with the people around you. This changes the degree to which you truly listen when people are speaking to you. But the root foundation is humility. See, and what we've done for a long time is we've taught people, those of us who teach on these things will go to the corporate world and will teach people and say, these are some listening skills for you. Right? Empathic listening, listening with empathy. But the foundation has to be humility. And when you're a humble person at your core, you find that listening becomes natural. I like what C.S. Lewis once said in Mere Christianity. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. If you're the kind of person who's always self-absorbed with your own issues, that's not humility. You see, there are a lot of people who come across very humble, but they're self-absorbed. They're always ruminating. You know what ruminating is? When you're just thinking negative thoughts, mulling over things, they won't happen to me, will that? You're not putting other people's interests before your own. What you're doing is, when you're so concerned with yourself and all you think about is yourself and your troubles and your woes and your worrying, 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 you're basically saying, my issues are more important and more significant and rank much more highly than everyone else around me. Let me tell you, if the president of a nation comes into your house, you won't be caught up with, yeah, then my other financial issue, oh yeah, then that guy at work is on. You'll be consumed with the needs of the president. And I believe that if the body of Christ is to be strengthened, if this local church is to be strengthened, we have to walk in humility. And I believe there's been so much mixture that has come into the body of Christ because you have new age philosophy coming in, talking about how worthy we are and how wonderful and beautiful we are. And we're the epitome of God's creation. And our opinion is just like way, way up there. Everyone else is as low down there. But that's secular humanism. And secular humanism has man as its center, not God. Humble yourself before the Lord. When you look in the Greek, the word humility literally is lowliness in mind. It's a deep sense of one's moral littleness. Not bad English, I saw it like that when I looked it up, okay? Littleness, I actually quite like that word, okay? It's lowliness of mind. It's a deep sense of one's moral littleness. Let me ask you a question. How would your relationships with the people around you change if you looked at them and you just focused on how wonderful they are, how righteous they are, all their wonderful moral qualities whilst being aware of your own frailty and depravity. It's very difficult to always criticize the people around you when that's your posture. And that's why Jesus said, his first beatitude, what did he say? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's extremely powerful. The whole of last year we were doing a series on the kingdom of God. And we want to embrace the kingdom. We want to experience the kingdom. And Jesus is telling us the key. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. For this is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to say the poor in spirit? It's those who recognize their moral littleness. How many of you know that if I am conscious of my frailty before God, if I'm conscious of the fact that I've been saved by his wonderful grace and were it not for him, where would I be? It changes the way I speak to you. Amen? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the New Living Translation it says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. 
How many of you right now as we are going into 2016 or in 2016 fully recognize your need for God? You know why people don't come to church? They don't recognize their need for the spoken word. They think, I'm sorted by myself. What do I need other people for? Pride. Simple as that. Why don't people pray? I'm sorted with my own skills. I've lived my whole life just doing my own thing. The thing that gets us to a place of prayer, to a place on our knees where we're crying out to God is dependence on Him. I've had experiences where I'm doing the same talk over and over again and I go into a certain environment, it's worked so well. But in that particular organization or that particular team, something just falls flat. The impact isn't great. I'm like, but last week it was also amazing. I'm no longer saying that's a word from Stuart, okay? I'm embraced it for myself. That's also amazing. And then this week it falls flat and I've recognized in my life, I need God. Do you mind if I quote Mahatma Gandhi? Anyone have a problem with that? I'm going to quote him anyway. Mahatma Gandhi is one of those guys who actually shows you, if you look at how he lived his life, despite the fact that he might not have been a practicing Christian or anything, but he's one of those guys when you study him from a leadership perspective, one of the things he said is, you know what, with you Christians, I really love your Jesus. He once said that. I really love your Jesus, but I struggle with you Christians. Because you don't see, I don't see the connection between what Jesus taught and how you guys live. And you remember when he came down to South Africa and he wanted to go into church, the guys basically looked at him and says, like, you're not actually welcome here because of the color of his skin. Imagine he had gotten saved. But he said, it is unwise to be too sure of one's own wisdom. It is a healthy it is healthy to be reminded that the strongest might weaken and the wisest might err. Isn't that powerful? The strongest might weaken. Some people, what happens is once they make quite a bit of cash, their money and their wealth becomes their sense of security. It becomes their sense of identity. I've seen it even in the church. I've seen it. Where you'll see a guy actually walking different because his business is starting to be successful. I mean, I'm an observer of life. You know, I'm paid to observe. And I, I like observing. I'm like, ah, this guy didn't used to even stand like that. Now standing with his legs apart. Yeah, pastor. Ah, no. That's not his step. I mean, I love doing that. I like watching people as they're walking and I see that, you know, their child has got the same walk as them and so on. So I'm always watching people. I've seen it in church. And all of a sudden, their back balance goes down and they start struggling business-wise. The stance changes. Because their identity and their sense of security is in their back balance. That's become their God. That's become their source and their sustainer and not the Lord. I want to show you something so powerful. Because you see, the wise can err. The strong can weaken. That's what we saw happening in Wall Street, didn't we? People who thought like this, oh, my lifesavers, all these investments, they are the ones that are my source and sustainer. What happened overnight? That's why Jesus said, do not put your trust in riches here on earth. They can be eaten up by moth, but rather invest in heaven. Rather put your trust in heaven where there's no moth. So I want to give you seven reasons why you must be humble. Are you ready? Number one, God grants favor and promotion to the humble. Who wants to be promoted here? I've got a book called The Technology of Spiritual Promotion. It's not just about promotion in terms of your job. God promotes you in the spirit first, isn't it? Okay. I don't know about you, but I want to be promoted. The Bible tells us that it's God who raises up one and puts down another. I want to be promoted by God. Well, look, we see in Isaiah 66, verse 2 to 3. Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being. God is basically trying to demonstrate his otherness. He's basically trying to show, guys, aren't I the one who created all of this stuff? In the first place, we talk about global warming. God is probably like, guys... Seek me for wisdom. I'm the one who put this planet together. 
the otherness of God. Scientists trying to figure out all sorts of things. We have all these El Ninos and so on. Things that are beyond people's control. Surely we need to look to God. So it says here, has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. Now watch this. These are the ones I look on with favor. Let me tell you something. You can have a bumper sticker that talks about I'm favored by God. You can name it, claim it, frame it as much as you want. You can come up for prayer sessions and we lay hands on you until you go bald. For some people that's too late already, but you know, we bore in the hole through your head. Just laying hands on you. Favor! Favor! Prophesied! Prophesied! Favor! Favor! We can do it as much as we want. But Jesus said, my words abide forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will remain. They'll abide forever. What are his words? What is the word of the Lord? He says, I just think it's so powerful. He says, these are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble... And contrite. Contrite means broken in spirit, right? Humble and contrite. And who tremble at my word. So if his word says, do not forsake the gathering of the saints, you tremble at that. If his word says, you are healed, you tremble at that. Can you see that there's a link between humility and faith? Because my humility will cause me to take God as his word. Favor comes upon you with God and man. When you are one who is humble before the Lord and contrite before the Lord. And maybe for some of us this morning, we should stop just praying, Lord, grant me favor. Lord, grant me favor. There's a place for that. Jabez prayed that prayer. Enlarge my tent. There's a place for praying these things. But we also have to tap into the ways of God. Come on now. And it goes on, and it's interesting because in verse 3, he's talking about the opposite. He's talking about those who don't do this, those who are not broken before the Lord, and says, they have chosen their own ways. That's the opposite of being broken before God. See, I want to be malleable before God. If God says, do this, I want to do it. But the opposite is this, they have chosen their own ways, and they delight in their abominations. And I want to encourage you to read that in context because God basically is communicating saying when they do these religious acts it's as if they're committing idolatry. If you read the context where he says when they come and offer me sacrifices it's as if they've offered to these idols. So you see when you come this is so profound when you come and you sing songs of worship in pride don't think God is looking and just thinking well look at least you tried. No, he's looking and he's seeing the opposite. He's looking when we come in his presence with pride. He's looking and he's saying, they've chosen their own ways and they delight in their abominations. That's why the Bible tells us that no flesh will boast in his presence. You see, you can pray hard, you can fast hard, but God wants us to do it from a place of humility. Amen. Are you getting something this morning? Amen. James 4 verse 6 says, But he gives us, everyone say, more grace. more grace. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God is okay with proud people. God gets frustrated when people are proud. It says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to who? So if James in the New Testament is now quoting the Old Testament, for those of you like call that Old Testament Christianity, if James was pastoring the church in Jerusalem, is literally quoting the Old Testament and reinforcing what it says there, I think we should listen to it. Right? In the mouth of two or three witnesses, it's saying here God opposes the proud. Some translations say, God resists the proud. But when you study it in the original, do you know what that word literally means? It means to rearrange yourself in war against something. That's what that word means. 
See, when you look at a dad, you think, oh, he just resists the problem, just opposes. We kind of think, oh, I'll feel a little bit of resistance. No, that word is a military term. It's talking about arranging yourself in opposition against. Could it be that there's some proud Christians who are praying for breakthrough, who are binding the devil, rebuking spirits? But could it be that it's God who's actually opposing them because of their pride? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that person. So this is why it's important for us to just read the word as it is. Amen? Amen. And not come up with... See, what a lot of people do is they proof text. They come up with their own idea, their own concoction. This is how Jesus looks like. Jesus is my best friend. She's like this. She's like, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Ooh, he's like this. And then they look for scriptures, proof texting. That back up their theory. And then they're blinkers when it comes to the other scriptures that are describing God in a different way. May that not be your portion. Amen. Amen. James 4, verses 9 to 10. Often we go around and we tell people, just be happy. Smile. Say to everyone, I'm having a good day. And we pump up people that way. But I read in scripture and it says this. Be miserable and mourn and weep. So there's a certain grouping of people who right now are laughing and joking and very excited. And the message to them is, guys, be miserable and mourn and weep. Why? Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will do what? He will exalt you. I'm telling you right now, there are comedians out there who don't know Jesus, who do lots of laughing and who make a lot of people laugh. But the message to them right now is, dude, stop making people laugh. You should be mourning right now. Because you see, when the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, it's talking about those who mourn and who grieve over their own depravity. That's why the Bible says, godly sorrow leads to repentance. And when you mourn and weep over your current state in humility before God, there's a transformation that takes place and then you'll experience true joy. Amen? Amen. You see, you can either experience the mourning now or you can experience it after you die. I don't know about you, but I want to grieve over certain things now, deal with them now, so I can experience true joy right now. So the Bible tells us that your sorrow will be turned into joy. You can't actually experience true joy without having gone through some degree of sorrow. Even if it's just the sorrow over your own state. See, what a lot of people do today, the reason why we've got a big drug issue in this nation right now, is instead of people mourning and weeping over their own depravity, what they do is they go to a counterfeit. And they're there, and they look all happy and cheerful. And the message to them is, guys, you should actually be mourning and weeping. But you won't remain in that space. Your mourning and weeping is godly sorrow that leads you to repentance and to the fullness of abundant life in Christ. Can I hear an amen? Amen. One Peter chapter five, verse six, says, "Humble yourselves, therefore, under." God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in a couple of minutes that he may lift you up in in due time that's where many Christians struggle let me show you in the new living so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time he will lift you up in honor God wants to lift you up God wants to exalt you God wants to exalt me in the nations. God is not putting us down, but he's showing us the key that we must humble ourselves under his mighty hand. You see, a lot of people were very religious and they humbled themselves. They do, but it's not under his mighty hand. There are a lot of people who put interest in religious practices, but it's not under God. So we're not talking about humbling yourself in the flesh. We're talking about humbling yourself in the presence of the Lord. Humbling yourself under his mighty hand. And in due time, I promise you, he will lift you up. And some of you are in that waiting period right now. 
Some of you are in that period where you're like almost there. Due time is almost there. But now you are saying, God, ah, 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 the stuff you've said ah, is not true. And the problem is kicking in. Amen? And you end up short-circuiting the promotion God wants to actually give you. If my eyes meet your eyes, I'm not thinking of you. My eyes are just meeting your eyes. They just landed on you. So don't start thinking of that situation. Hey, Pastor Paul, are you talking about me? That situation I shared with you the other day. You know with Christians, church folk. Remember I said to you before, they're Christians and they're church folk. <laughs> Isn't that a powerful scripture? Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand. Who does the humbling? You do it. If you don't humble yourself, you'll be humbled. Please say to the person next to you, if you don't humble yourself, you will be humbled. I don't know about you, but I almost I want to be in control of my humbling myself. <laughs> because if I don't, and if I walk in pride, and the thing about pride is you don't see it. It's, it's the deceit of pride, isn't it? When you're proud, you don't see it. It's a blind spot. Sometimes you actually need people to say to you, I still remember years ago, you know, when pastors preach, they talk, years ago, when they talk about their mistakes. Right? Years ago, long ago. <laughs> And fortunately, this particular example was a number of years ago. I remember preaching for a friend of mine at his church. And I remember when I was preaching, I was talking about prayer or something. And I went into detail with a pers- concerning a personal prayer crusade that I'd been on. You know, personal prayer crusade is when you pray for a certain amount the one day, then you push it up the other day and so on. And then I disclosed how much I had prayed and how long it was in my example. On the surface, it's like, you know, you're giving an example to the people. You're trying to inspire them. And my friend came to me. I said, oh, Paul, it was really powerful and everything. But he's one of those guys who's quite direct. He's like, bro, bro, so I ask you, why did you give us that example? And I'm honest with myself. There was spiritual pride. I remember a time when I went on a personal prayer crusade and it was in 2000, 15 years ago. I still remember. And I was seeking God's face. And I remember after that week, thinking to myself, hey, I'm quite spiritual. And the Lord rebuked me. And the Lord said to me, Paul, you're judging yourself based on your peaks. You need to judge yourself based on your lifestyle. As a rebuke. Because sometimes spiritually we think we're spiritual giants because of that one thing we did there and that other thing we did there. But it's not a lifestyle. And you see, the process of brokenness comes when we pray like David prayed. When he says, search my heart, O God, to see if there's any wickedness within me. And then God puts his searchlight on and then he exposes the stuff. Because we deceive ourselves. As a church, may we not be deceived. As an individual, may you not be deceived. Have a look at Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. Are you enjoying the word? Do you enjoy the Bible? Just getting into it? You're saying, Jesus, whatever you say, I'm going to do because it's in your word. Matthew 23, verse 12 says... For those who exalt themselves. Now, who are those people who exalt themselves? Sometimes we look at these scriptures and we think of the Pharisees. But you know that they're modern-day Pharisees? They might not be wearing those garments like the Pharisees of old. But they're here in our modern-day churches with fancy hairstyles and stilettos. It says, for those who exalt themselves. What is exalting yourself? It's when you greet someone and you read off your CV before they've even gotten to know you. You're exalting yourself. It's when you come and you share testimony in church. And really, and what you say on the outside is, I just want to share testimony. I really, really thank the Lord. But deep inside in your heart, what you really say, if we could hear your heart, is guys, kick me out. <laughs> exalting yourself is where you look for entitlement. I know that's a swear word at the moment and so on. But entitlement in terms of church settings, we're like, how come I have, I'm not yet preaching? 
Instead of allowing God to raise you up. How come, yeah, but why are they just going and, you know, uh, they're honoring those people and doing that? What about me? Guys, you should have seen me. I've run this outreach before and I've done this and I've done that. That's exalting yourself. Exalting yourself is where you don't listen to what people have to say, but you come straight away in a meeting and you give them your two cents. Because I'm higher in rank. I'm more important. I am wiser. Therefore, I have to listen to them, these minions. Exalting yourself is when people come to you and they say, how did you do that? How did you do that? And instead of explaining or teaching, to them, teaching them the principles or writing books that are the principles so they can do what you're doing, you just say, <laughs> And you remain a mystery. Come on now. <laughs> but look what the Bible says. Those who exalt themselves will be will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. What is humbling yourself? Next week I'm going to talk to you about a portrait of humility. What it actually looks like. I'm going to give you the checklist. Humbling yourself is where you can sit down and listen to your son speak. Even though you think you're more clued up than them, but you can draw them out and see the significance in them. Instead of just saying children must be seen, not heard. Come on now, how many of you grew up in families because children must just be seen, not heard? And you shoo your kids away like they're the dog. Okay, I know some people don't shoo their dogs away. <laughs> Praise God. As I'm looking at certain faces, I'm just thinking of some of the things I'm seeing on Facebook. I'm quite impressed. Some people, I must say, like Mars Cecilia, you know, just uh, the swimming pool and everything like that and so on. Very impressive, I must say. <laughs> it's interesting the personalities we have in this church. Ever since Mars Cecilia went on, what do we call it, early retirement, semi retirement, and so on, it's like she's this, like, she's just living it up or something. <laughs> Go check it out if you haven't checked it out. <laughs> we, we love you, Master Celia. <laughs> Praise God. So it's up to you. Will you be proud now and then humbled later, or will you choose to humble yourself today? People say, oh, I like so-and-so. I like that leader. They're so down to earth. They're just really humble. Often we say, that leader, that great, wonderful leader, they're just so down to earth. They just come to you at your level. No, they're a humble person. They haven't exalted themselves. Number two, you recognize your ignorance and limitations. When you're a humble person, you recognize your own ignorance and your own limitations. How many of you know that when you're in business, you hire according to your weakness, don't you? But if you don't see what you're weak in, you won't hire anyone and you'll do everything yourself. As a leader, you'll never delegate because you're like, no one can do it as good as me. And when you do finally see the need to delegate, if you're a proud person, the way you word it is, hey, I'm just giving you this to do because you know I don't really have time, so can you just do it? As opposed to, you know what, I actually think you're brilliant and I think you're better placed to do this particular thing and I want you to shine. You recognize your own ignorance. Worst thing is people who don't recognize their limitations intellectually. I was speaking to some people and they said, yeah, Paul, the one thing I just can't stand is just people who just blab and blab and blab and blab, but they're actually clueless. Proverbs 26 verse 16 says, A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. In the New Living it says, Lazy people consider themselves smarter than seven wise counselors. You know the kind of people I'm talking about? People who think they're more clued up than they actually are. I like what Albert Einstein said, a true genius admits that he or she knows nothing. 
know that one of the marks of a genius is a sense of childlike awe. True geniuses have a sense of childlike wonder. They're like, oh, let's just think outside the box. What if this happens? They're childlike. You see, as long as you are proud, you will not seek counsel this year. Some of you are in situations. It might be in your marriage. It might be in your business. It might be in your parenting. But you're too proud to seek counsel. Because you're like, I've presented this image of myself. What will people think of me if? So what about what they think of you? It is what it is. It is what it is. If you keep trying to project this ideal image of yourself, you know what? You'll be tortured for the rest of your life with anxiety, with the fear of being found out. That one day people are going to check me out and they're going to see that girl who ain't all that. It's true. It's one of the reasons people don't step out and do great things. With the books that I'm doing, do you honestly think that I think I'm a brilliant writer and all of that? No, I don't. I just know that God has given me a message and it needs to get out because the stuff that I'm pushing out is far better than the new age stuff out there. There are many of you in this room when I see how you write way more skilled than I am. But some of you are too proud to get your stuff out. What if people see this mistake? What if? Yes, you aren't perfect, are you? So what's wrong with people seeing your imperfection? The reason why these guys get up and they sing and they lead us in worship is not because they think they're perfect. It's because they've overcome the pride associated with sitting in the background just in case I make a mistake. Number three, humility is central to Christ-likeness. How many of you have prayed a prayer this year where you've said, God I want to be like your son, Jesus. How many of you this year have prayed that? Or in the last year or so? Jesus, I want to be like you. Remember that song? Oh, Jesus, I want to be just like you. Okay. Humility. See, I'm not so proud that I'll be like, eh, don't sing, Paul. Your marks. Your marks, you lose points. Humility is central to Christ-likeness. If you have said, Jesus, I want to be more like you, do you know how Jesus describes himself? He doesn't say, guys, check me out. I want you to be like me, just to be a nice dresser. Guys, check me out. I want you to be like me, just speak with authority like I do. He had so many good qualities. But the one thing that Jesus says is this. In Matthew 11, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls so when jesus was describing himself not other people describing jesus when jesus was describing himself he says guys be like me i'm gentle and humble in heart if you look in scripture the word gentle and the word humble go hand in hand when you're humble as a person it makes you more gentle very often when people demonstrate anger bad temper Telling people where to go, what to do, and so on. Very often they've got a root of pride. If you want to know whether you're a proud person or not, just assess your narratives. Get someone to transcribe your narratives or spend the whole day recording yourself. And then you play it. Because we often don't admit it. Often when people challenge you and then say, how did you speak to that person? Did you think that was okay or not? And so on. And we're like, oh, it was fine. Because you judge yourself based on your intentions. Other people judge you based on the impact of your behavior. No, I meant well, so I had to speak like that. I was in a situation a couple of days ago with Tuniso. We were doing a particular thing, and there was a particular service provider who um, I didn't feel like they were offering us good service. And I began to speak to them quite firmly. You know when you're feeling in your heart this thing rising up, and you kind of think, but everyone loves me. Come on, I'm a cool person. But they didn't know me. And it was an organization that brought in big clients into it so and we needed something from them. I remember afterwards just feeling convicted about it because I was firm with them. I remember I said to Tuniso, 
was that okay how I came across? How, how do you think it was? And Tumiso being Tumiso encouraged me. I know you were fine, you were fine. Okay. But I felt a bit, you know, funny. And I went and spoke nicely to the person afterwards and just, you know, toned things down a bit and reconnected. Your pride is seen in how you speak to him. Number four, God will guide and teach you. One of the keys to getting God to teach you and getting God to guide you is humility. You see, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and impose himself on people. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And when you demonstrate humility in your heart that, Lord, I don't have all the answers. Lord, I need your wisdom and so I'm asking you to guide me. He teaches you. See, so many people quote the scripture where Jesus says, don't worry about what you'll have to say for I will teach you what to say at the time and my words will be in your mouth and you'll speak them. But the requirement is humility. The humility that says, God, my own words are not effective. I need your words. I need your wisdom. And that's why I love this scripture. Psalm 25 verse 9. He guides the humble in what is right. I want to know what's right. And teaches them his way. How many of you in your businesses want to be taught God's way? That's how you flourish. How many of you in your families want to be taught God's way? He does it to the humble. Number five, you can be obedient. How many of you know that without humility, it's difficult to be obedient? Because very often the things that God will instruct you in, when he says, I want you to do this, I want you to do that, very often it involves losing face. And if you're so proud that the last thing you want to do is to embarrass yourself for Jesus. I'm not talking about embarrassing yourself because of your own foolishness. If you're so proud that you can't lose face, it's very difficult to be obedient to the Lord, to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Is there any job right now that is beneath you? Are you the kind of person where you like, Lord, you know, I have to have an office type of job, but you're really skilled as a diesel Mac, and you need to get that diesel on you, but somehow you've kind of embraced a philosophy which isn't great that distinguishes white collar and blue collar type of work. I don't know about you, but I would rather work with my hands and be dirty with my hands and make lots of cash in the process than pretend I'm working, sitting in an ivory tower wearing a nice fancy suit. Are you too proud for certain jobs? Is God leading you in a particular direction, but you're kind of like, ah, me, I can't be seen doing that. I remember when we were growing up, and we had a group of friends, we used to play a lot of soccer together, and I remember at one stage, we would come up with creative ideas, usually my older brother David would have these ideas, and at a certain point, we need to do some fundraising. And we were youngsters, we were like maybe, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, somewhere there, and we are like, okay guys, let's sell cabbages. Let's sell vegetables. You know, where we grew up in Zimwe, big gardens, big yards, and so on. And for me, that was like, oh, cool, let's do it. My family had come from an agrarian background. It was like, cool, let's do it. And I remember one of my friends from up the road, all of, it was my first time seeing this thing. He started like, hey, hey, look all over, hey, guys, ah, no, I can't do that. Hey, big scene, selling vegetables, the side of the road. <laughs> and I remember it was odd for me. I don't think we ended up doing it, but we could have made lots of money. <laughs> How many of you know that we learn pride? We learn, we, we, we are raised that way. We are taught as we watch things around us that, oh, these are the things to do. These are the people to be seen with. These are the type of clothes to wear. This is the type of car to be seen in. We're taught these things, and then we end up ashamed of certain things. I'm telling you right now, I'm speaking now prophetically. Some of you, that's a word for you. God is leading you in a particular direction, but you're thinking to yourself, my friends who are with me at university, what will they say? Who cares what they'll say? Honestly, they're not that important in your life. Who cares what they'll say? Humble yourself in the sight of What is your pride stopping you from doing right now? 
See, there are things that God will call you to do that require humility, and if you are proud, you cannot do them. Number six, you'll pray effectively. You will pray effectively when you're humble. You see, humility is a key to high-impact prayers. How many of you want your prayers to have impact? Humility is key. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 14 to 15 says, And my people who are called by my name, if they what? If they what? Does it just say if they pray hard? What does it first say? If they humble themselves. If they humble themselves and pray. Humility comes before prayer. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. So there are certain prayers that are not heard. I said there are certain prayers that are not heard. I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend lots of time in prayer. When I know that my prayer won't be heard. I want to do things God's way that says I must first humble myself and pray and seek the Lord's face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. By inference, there's certain prayers that he doesn't hear. Now, God hears everything, but there's some things that sound different to him. There's some prayers where you can hear them in English, but in God's ear, it's like noise. May that not be your portion. May that not be your portion. Okay? Abraham, Abraham Lincoln said something very powerful. I have been driven many times upon my knees by overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for that day. What got him to his knees? His own wisdom seemed insufficient for the day. Then finally, the seventh reason why you should be humble. You'll be full of faith because you take God at his word. You'll be full of faith because you take God at his word. Matthew 8 verses 5 to 10. This is so interesting because if I look in society today, there are a lot of people who applaud. Heroes, famous people, celebrities, and everyone's like, wow, wow, wow. But I don't know about you, when I study God's word, I want to see who did Jesus applaud? Who did Jesus go, bravo, bravo. This is the man, guys. This is the man. I want to see for myself. I'm not interested in whose fan club you're a part of. I'm interested in who Jesus is a fan of. And look here. It says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now just stop there. This guy is leading a hundred men, right? This guy is in an area that he had been involved in colonizing, as it were, right? But he's going to this Jewish rabbi and he's asking for help. Do you know what I'm thinking of? I'm not seeing faith there. That's not the first thing I'm seeing. I'm seeing what? Humility. Humility. What does it take for this man to be able to just go in front of a whole crowd of people? He probably, centurions, I don't think they just walked by themselves. They probably had their people around them, their guards, etc. And he says he went to Jesus and asked for help. Is there someone God is nudging you to ask for help from? Is there someone who's a key to your breakthrough, but you have to humble yourself and actually just go to them and say, listen to that, I need some help, I need some of your wisdom. And this is interesting because it says, he said, Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Now what do we teach today? You deserve it, my brother. You are worthy. But the guy who Jesus became a fan of said the opposite. I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy of this. 
I can't just demand it from you. And watch this. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this he was amazed. I don't know about you but I want to do certain things in life where when Jesus hears it he's amazed. It's one thing for people to clap for you. But is heaven applauding? I don't know about you, but I want to do things from a heart of brokenness and humility where Jesus is like, that's my boy. That's my girl. That's to other people if you're saying that's my girl. Okay. Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Could it be that humility is a key to unlocking faith where we trust God at his word? Whatever you said, it's done. Could it be that humility this year will be a key to your breakthrough? Let's